But if you remember, a few weeks ago, we asked you to submit some questions and that today we were going to answer your questions. We told you you could ask anything you wanted. So we got lots of questions turned in. And we, after going through those questions, we realized that to do a large panel to answer the questions might take a little bit longer. And we had a lot of questions that we wanted to be able to get to. And in addition to having a female's perspective on those questions, we thought you might also like to have a man's perspective on some of those questions since a lot of them deal with relationships. So this morning, Instead of a large panel, we're going to have a small panel. And I have invited my very best friend, my sweetheart, my husband, the pastor of The Bridge, Gary Martin, to join me. And we're going to answer your questions. Welcome him as he comes. Can you believe he's going to be a grandpa? <laughs> he looks far too young to be a grandpa, doesn't he? And that's what I've been saying. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we've got lots of questions, so we're going to do our best to get to as many as we can. And we're going to start with questions on marriage. We had questions come in regarding all different types of relationships. So we're going to hit on different topics and different categories of relationships. But we're going to start this morning with marriage. Is that good with you? All right. And that's good with you, too? All right. <laughs> okay, so our first question said, what are good ways to keep your marriage strong spiritually? Well, I would start out by saying that if we want a strong marriage spiritually, we need to be strong spiritually individually. And we can't expect our spouse to make us strong spiritually or make the marriage strong spiritually if we're not strong spiritually. So we each need to be strong individually and then spiritually, and then the marriage will be strong spiritually as well. Any other thoughts? About no, I that? think that's, that's it's getting windy out there. Wow. I think that's first priority is that you make sure that you're doing your part and taking care of your end of things, and God will work on the other end as well. All right, next question. How can I improve my communication in marriage? Wow. How can I improve communication in marriage? I think the first thing we need to do to, to really improve being able to communicate is to become good listeners. A lot of us like to talk, but most of us don't. Maybe just raise the door and just leave it open. Maybe that'll, that'll solve the problem. <clears throat> By the way, we, we did kill a rattlesnake out here last Wednesday night, just so you ladies know. So, Don't tell the ladies Four feet, that. eight inches. Yeah, isn't, that, isn't that great? The men got it. They killed it to protect you ladies. That's right. And we'll be serving it for lunch today as soon as we dismiss. No, 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 no. Oh, what was I saying? Uh, to, to really be good communicators, we need to be good listeners. And I know a lot of times we say things and we think we've said one thing, but the other person has heard something totally different. And so to be a good listener, I think, number one, you need to hear what's being said. And anytime your spouse says something to you that is hurtful, that confuses you, that upsets you, that really uh, kind of pushes at you, I think you need to stop and look back at them and say, okay, so what you're saying is da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Turn around and tell the person what you just heard because sometimes what they said and what you heard are two different things. And if you'll just stop and take the time to say, okay, so you're saying this and so. Well, no, that's not what I'm saying. Okay, well, it sounded to me like you said this. No, what I'm saying is, and I think when something is painful, hurtful, causes real conflict, take it back to them in your own words and say, is this what you're saying? And give them a chance to explain it because a lot of times that'll solve a lot of your communication issues right there. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. All right. Our next question is, how can you get an unromantic husband to be romantic? Anybody wish your husband was just slightly more romantic? <laughs> They're afraid to raise their hands. Okay. <laughs> we, we talked about this at Man to Man a couple months ago. Oh, you did? We did. 
Oh, maybe we should be getting online and listening no. to the man-to-man no, messages. Maybe you should just mind your own business. <laughs> <laughs> now, do you want to ask me what I just said? <laughs> no, I know what you said. <laughs> All right. Well, how many of you like a good romantic chick flick? Any women like to go to a good romantic chick flick? And probably many of your husbands do not care to go, but sometimes they'll go with you to be nice. Well, I like a good chick flick just as much as you do. I am all about all the romance. I love it as much as any woman. I think I'm a pretty typical woman. And my husband is a very typical man, and he'd rather see a movie with anything blowing up or shooting or what have you. <laughs> and, you know, we've all seen the scene in the movie where they're, the woman's blindfolded. He takes her out on the rooftop, and there's the elegant table with the beautiful dinner and candles everywhere. And we all think, oh, wouldn't that just be so awesome? Why can't my husband do that? Well, the guy, <laughs> the romantic guy in the movie, you know what? He had absolutely nothing to do with that. <laughs> nothing at all. They probably had 15 crew members setting it all up and a huge budget to help as well. And so we have to recognize where are our expectations and realize that that might not be reality. And, and so we don't have to be, you know, trying to change our husbands and say, why can't you do this? Why can't you do that? Like in that movie or that movie and that sort of thing. But we need to recognize instead the things that they do as an expression of romance and an expression of their love toward us. And Gary loves to do sweet things for me. He loves to make, or I think he loves to, he does. He makes me a latte almost every single morning, brings it to me while I'm getting ready. He does such sweet things for me. It may not be the candles on the rooftop dinner. <laughs> so we just need to recognize the things that they do as an expression of love and romance. And it might not be all the little things that we have in our head, but that's okay. We need to appreciate the things that they're doing. And then when we want the candlelight dinner or that sort of thing, it's okay to initiate that ourselves. If we have a candlelight dinner, I promise you it's because I put candles on the table, not him. <laughs> but when I do and say, oh, wouldn't it be nice to have a romantic dinner? He totally agrees and is like, oh, this is nice. And he, he gets it and he clicks in and goes along with the program. <laughs> but it's okay for us to initiate those things. We don't have to sit back expecting that and then being upset when that doesn't happen or being uh, disappointed by that. We can take initiative in that. Yeah, and I think with what Ann's saying, uh, most men get really intimidated when you start telling them, you need to be more romantic. You need to do some romantic things. Uh, I mean, I do. I'm like, you know, the, the deer with the, in, the lights and the headlights in the eyes. You know, I'm like, oh, jeez. <laughs> you know? But I think it's important that you recognize that a man oftentimes, even though it's not best for you, a man oftentimes does things out of his own love language. And when he does those things, you need to recognize him, even if it doesn't hit home, because if you praise him on those things, I don't mean, oh, hallelujah, you're a wonderful husband. I mean, if you just encourage him and say, that is so thoughtful, that is so sweet. If you just encourage him and praise him, I think it encourages him to go a little bit further. But when he does something and it's unrecognized, he feels like, well, that didn't work, so what do I do next, you know? I mean, uh, never mind, I'll get into that. <laughs> I better stop right there. I thank you every morning when you bring me that latte, don't I? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> All right. How do you deal with a spouse who has maybe mishandled finances, and that's become an issue in the marriage? Let me, let me take one step backwards for a second. Let, let's take finances. Let's take raising kids. Let's take a lot of issues, okay? I don't want to just single it down to one area. Finances, 
they say are, are probably one of the greatest areas of problem in most marriages. It's, it's one of the number one causes of divorce, financial stress. When there's an area of your marriage that's not being handled well and your spouse is kind of overseeing that area or maybe the way they're dealing with the kids isn't the best and you see some things going on, it's very, very important that, number one, you, you find the right moment to sit down and open your heart and say, hey, I've got some concerns. Can we just talk about some things for a few minutes? Open your heart about those concerns. Most of us guys are wired where we want to fix stuff. And if we're not doing something well, we get intimidated. And if, if we hear you're not doing this right, you're not doing it well, a lot of times guys will tend to close up. And what happens is they run into a shell, they run away and hide. Now, that's no excuse. But I think, number one, you need to confront it with love. Scripture talks about telling the truth in love. I think that Scripture really needs to be reworded. And you say, well, God didn't make mistakes. No, but I think our interpretation does. In love, we need to communicate. In love, we need to speak. In love, motivated by love, we need to tell the truth. A lot of us think, well, I need to tell the truth and let the chips fall where they may. You need to love first and then tell the truth in love. And if, if a husband doesn't respond to conversation about something, then I think you need to come from the standpoint of, look, we're having some real issues here. We need to get some help. We need to get some help. Sometimes you can get it from pastors or teams of people in the church who, who give scriptural uh, advice and, and scriptural input. Sometimes you need to go to a counselor. Sometimes you need to go to, a, to somebody who handles finances, who can show you how to run a budget and how to keep from destroying your budget. But I think you need to come at it from the standpoint of, can I just, you know, can we initiate some conversation and can I give you my influence? And I think if you go back to the Garden of Eden, I think God intended for women to have influence in marriage. You know, a lot, a lot of the conflict comes about, well, the husband wants to be the head and he won't listen. A woman's supposed to have influence. She's supposed to have influence on her husband. So I think every man is open to good influence and positive influence. And when he gets stumped, tell him, it's okay to not know. But let's go get some help and get somebody who can help us because this is not about you. This is about us and our family and what's best for all of us. Yeah. And along those lines, you know, I just want to throw in here, we talked to so many couples who have maybe gotten to a critical point in their marriage where there have been issues for 20 plus, maybe even sometimes 30 years. And things have evolved and there's been issues for years and years and years that haven't been dealt with. And so often we encounter situations like that and we see that after years like that, it is so much harder to deal with issues. So if there are issues that are rising up in your marriage that you just need some help with, please don't hesitate to get help. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, we should be here for each other. Maybe find another couple that you know of that's a little further on in the journey than you are. Maybe somebody that you really admire their marriage and say, hey, can we talk to you guys? Can we bounce some things off of you? We need to be able to do that in marriage and not just isolate ourselves and keep all those things in and then wind up years down the road with issues that are so much bigger and harder to deal with. Yeah. All right, well, since you mentioned us. Uh, issues with raising kids and stuff. Let's just jump forward to some of our parenting questions. When children have negative or disobedient behavior, how do you gain the patience to not overreact and freak out when your patience is tested? Do kids ever get on your nerves? <laughs> Somebody say, no, I don't have any kids in the house. You're the only ones then. Uh, I, I think... Number one, we always have to keep the focus that we're the adults. We are the adults. And kids can rattle us, they can frazzle us, they can drive us crazy. When you start to address your kids, I think the first thing is don't ever set out to deal with your kids when you're really angry. When you're really angry, you'll take it out on them. And that doesn't usually help. Okay, so don't, don't try to deal with the child when you're really angry. Sometimes you need to walk into the other room and count to 10. Or sometimes you need to send the child to their room and say, go to your room, I'll be there in a couple minutes to talk to you. 
I think it's really important that we keep in mind that this is God's heritage, they're God's children, He gave them to us, and we need to deal with them correctly. I raised two boys, so I know what it is to get really angry with boys. And I learned that when I dealt with those kids, a lot of times I had to come back later and say, you know what, I know I was a little harsh, but you had me really upset. The reason grandparents are so wonderful is because they've been through it and made all the mistakes, and they know how, how to do it better the second time around. It's really true. So be, be really, really careful about dealing with your child when you're angry. Now, the, the second part of this is, and I, I can say this real fast, when you're dealing with your child, I think there's two parts to it. Number one, you need to correct them. You need to correct them. Explain to them what's right, what's wrong, why it's wrong, and why it's right. And number two, there's a discipline, correction and discipline. Show them right and wrong. Explain to them what you're doing and why, and then do something to bring a discipline into their life where they move in the right direction. Okay, so it's not punishment. It's correction and discipline. If you can approach it from that mindset, you'll make much better decisions dealing with those kids. And if you just do that simple count to five, count to ten, send to the kid to the room, uh, as they get older, each one, each one of your kids, you're going to see their personalities are very different. Learn to deal with each child according to their personality. As you see it develop and you understand how to deal with them. Uh, I used to deal with my boys as they got older, especially when I, if they got in trouble together even, I would send them to their rooms and I'd go deal with them one at a time because they each re responded to different things. So learn, learn your children, learn that you're the adult, and just keep a grip on things. Great. What are some good things to teach your kids so they don't stray as teens? And what's some advice to raise godly kids in today's society? Number one, I, I think it is absolutely essential for parents to realize, especially, let me back up. We're talking to a Christian community here, basically. <clears throat> it's very important for you to understand the world we're living in today. I don't know how many of you listen to the news. I'm not a constant in the news guy, but I stay on top of what's happening in the country. A judge just ruled this last week, I believe it's in Brooklyn, New York, that all children, all, teen, all girls of any age should be, get, be able to buy the morning after abortion pill at any age over the counter without parental consent. Um, there's a whole thing going on in our nation and we have to realize these are our children. We're getting to a place where the government wants to tell us how to raise our children, what to do with them. We still have the right, the ability to be the parents to our children. And it's really important that you understand when you let go of those kids and you send them to school for 30, 40 hours a week, somebody's got your children and they're speaking into their lives and they're being trained in social areas that you don't consent to and we're telling them listen to your teachers your teachers are trained they'll teach you the right stuff they're learning a lot of stuff at school they're learning from friends kids are learning stuff way too young right now it's very important that you teach your children right and wrong and you explain to them as they can understand it what is right what is wrong why is it right why is it wrong and you need to know who they're running with who's speaking into their lives you need to find out what they're learning at school. If they're hearing stuff that's not right, you need to correct it. And let me just say this. A lot of people think, well, I'm going to take my kids to church now and then because they need to learn right and wrong. Your kids are not going to learn right and wrong at church alone. Okay? We get them for an hour a week. The average church-going family probably goes to church two Sundays out of three, maybe half the time. That means the church has got your kids what, 20, 30, 40 hours a year, a lot of kids? And you think about that. We get them as much in a year as a school gets them in a week. And I say this to all parents. The church is not here to teach your kids, train your kids, and, and save your kids. The church is here to reinforce what you're doing at home. Kids need to get saved at home. They need to give their hearts to Jesus at home. I mean, we do it here at church, absolutely. But kids need to learn about God at home because we can't teach them what they need to know alone. We're here to reinforce what you're teaching them. So teach your children, train your children, know what's going on in their lives, know the people they're running with, know the families they're hanging out with. Make sure that you are the loudest voice in their lives. Good. All right. Well, 
Many of you who have been around here for a while have heard bits and pieces of our story, and you might know that we have each walked through some difficult things, walked through divorce, and so we had a question about divorce. And the question was, are there any specific scriptures or tools that helped you with the healing process during divorce? And since it's specifically asked about uh, scriptures and tools, that sort of thing, I'll just uh, comment on one thing from my perspective, but Gary has some great things on this topic as well to share with you. But, you know, for me, when I was going through that time, it's divorce is never easy. It was devastating. And... I felt like God really spoke a promise to me that helped carry me through that and bring healing into my life. And it was from Psalm 40 that says, I'll pick you up out of the slimy pit, out of the miry clay, and put your feet upon a solid rock, a firm foundation, put a new song in your heart that many would see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. That was a promise to me that God spoke to me during that time through his word. But the thing is, he wouldn't have been able to speak that into my life if I hadn't been in the Word. And when you're hurting, sometimes it's hard to open your Bible. Sometimes it's the last thing our flesh wants to do when we're hurting. But we've got to remember to position ourselves in the Word so that God can speak to us through the Word, and He will. It was like those verses just jumped off the page and grabbed me. He spoke so clearly to me. So we've got to remember to be in the Word. And sometimes when it's hard to get into the Word, you know what? I just encourage you, when you're hurting, open to the Psalms. Because David's pouring out his heart during difficult times, and you can read it and go, oh, I totally relate to this guy. I totally relate to that. And the more we read, the stronger we become because the word is life. And then the more we read, we read beyond the Psalms, we read more, and, and it just breathes life into us, and God will speak to us through his word. Yeah. yeah and let me say, uh, preface this, uh, Ann and I are, we're, we're blessed and it's because of God's goodness to us, I'm, I'm telling you. Neither one of us are proud of the fact that we've been through a divorce. We don't throw it out there and say, hey, it's the greatest thing in the world. It's not. It's the most horrible thing that's ever happened to me, and I think Ann will tell you the same thing. Having said that, how many of you know God is good? All right. Let me talk about this for a minute, because since 21 years of age, I've been in the ministry. This is all I've known my entire life. When I went through a divorce in my mid to late 40s, it, it was... It was terrifying, it was horrible, it was devastating. Especially with my background, with all I had preached, all I had been told my whole life, it was, it was double confusing because I was raised in a very legalistic church and the message I heard was God hates divorce. God hates divorce. That's in scripture. That's in the book of Malachi. God said, I hate divorce. And so I went through this season of life where I was devastated, I was hurting, my family was being ripped apart. And here this thing kept echoing in my head. God hates divorce. And I began to think God hates me. God does not hate you if you're going through a divorce. God hates, he hates the act of divorce. He hates what it does to us. But God does not hate people who are going through a divorce. Now, having said that, let me tell you from Scripture why God hates divorce. And maybe in a few weeks, I'm hoping on a Sunday morning I may deal with this. Because a lot of people need to understand more about it. But what I found in Scripture, two things out of Malachi. Number one, it says God hates divorce because it causes violence in our lives. Divorce is violent. And let me, let me give you an illustration. When two people get married, Scripture says two people become one flesh. Here's what happens. Two people become one flesh. When you go through a divorce, it isn't like this. It's ripping and shredding, and it doesn't come apart evenly. And it rips to the core of your being. It causes you to question everything you've ever been taught. It causes you to question everything that you are. It beats on your self-esteem. And then there's what happens with the kids and what happens with the properties. And then you go to court and you fuss and you fight. And I, this is not to be a smart look. It's just the truth. Then the attorneys get involved and their job is to make money. So they stretch it out for as many months and years as possible to make it as, you know, as profitable for them. And it just rips and rips and rips for months and months and months. And God said, I hate divorce because of the violence it does to people's lives. 
Physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, it takes a toll. But then the second part of it is, God said, I hate divorce because I want a godly offspring. Divorce is harder on your kids than it is on you. I learned that. I learned that with my boys. They were both in high school, and boy, it, it left its mark. It, for a while, when they got out of high school, they had to run down the road and figure life out for themselves. Most kids do that. But when I began to talk to them, there was a lot of residue from divorce because they felt it was their fault. They felt, they felt rejection in the whole process. And so when you go through it, you wind up having to spend a lot of time with your kids and your focus has to become your children to get them through it and get them healed. So there's so much to this. And I'll, like I said, I'll deal with it some Sunday in the future. But God loves you. If you're going through a divorce, if you're going through a tough time, God has not rejected you. Walk it out in a godly manner. Make wise decisions. Get help from somebody who can help you walk it out, okay? And get some healing in the process. God has not forsaken you. He's got great plans for your life. But it's tough and it hurts. But God can see you through it. He absolutely will. Good. All right. Well, I know we've got several single women in the room today, so we're going to move on to some questions that came in about dating. And we actually had several questions regarding dating non-believers. Is it okay? I'm praying for him to accept the Lord. I've been inviting him to church. I've been trying to witness to him. He seems to be open to hearing. Is it okay? Is it wrong? Some women actually think it's a noble thing. to. Aren't I doing the right thing, trying to win him to the Lord? What do you say? <laughs> oh, I got great advice here. Because I'm the guy, I'll say all this stuff. Uh, let me give you a pastoral perspective for a minute, okay? Paul wrote in Corinthians, I don't know if it's first or second. He gave us uh, some direction on this. And I want to preface it by saying, when God gives you a commandment or when God gives you instructions, there are reasons for it, okay? There are reasons for the commandments of God. The commandments of God are there to keep us from causing more damage to our lives, God created us to live a certain way, so he gives us commandments and shows us how to walk through life to keep us from doing things there. It's like you teach your child, don't put your hand on, on the iron because it will burn your fingers. How many, how many taught your kids that? How many of you had boys that had to touch it one time just to learn anyway, you know? That's kind of how. God gives us instructions to keep us from doing things that are going to damage our lives. What Paul said was, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, let me, let me talk to you about this for a minute. In context, in, in Bible days, you know, we don't see this today, but in Bible days, they would take two oxen and put them side by side and put this big, heavy wooden yoke over their necks and, and fasten them into these yokes. And what happened was the two oxen could not go in different directions. They had to go in the same direction because if one of them pulled, either the one had to follow or the one had to stay on track and each one pulled against the other, and the two pulling against the other with the yoke in place kept them going in a straight line. And what the scripture literally says is, don't get into a situation in life where you're trying to do something important in life with somebody who's going in a different direction. That's what it's saying. Now let me give you a good illustration. And last night we talked about some of this. I didn't even think of this last night. Let's just say you're dating a guy and you say, what do you want to do with your life? And he says, I want to go to the cold wilderness mountains of Afghanistan and live in the mountains among the tribal people and just live that life and live among those people. Now, how many of you women would say, that's not the guy for me? Okay. I want to live with, with no plumbing. I, I, want, I want to live in a situation. That we don't... Most women in this room, 99, and I know there's one of you in here that probably would, but 99% of you would say, no way, I'm not going. What Paul is saying and what God's trying to teach us is, listen closely, the second most important decision you make with your life is your marriage. The first is, what am I going to do about my spirit? What about God? The second most important decision you make is, what about marriage? What God's trying to tell you is, don't get into a serious relationship where you're talking about yoking up with a man who's going in one direction where you're going in this direction. Well, we have so much in common, but eternally he's going there and you're going there. And what happens is, and, and like I said earlier, I've been doing this since I was 21. I won't tell you how old I am now, but I am old enough now to be a grandpa. 
But I've been doing this long enough. I can tell you story after story after story of women and men who've sat down with me and said, man, I made the biggest mistake of my life because I married a person who's a wonderful person, but they fight me. They resist me when it comes to serving God. They won't come to church with me. They won't give. They won't release our finances. We're not able to be blessed in some of these areas. This is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. I can tell you horror stories. And I know there are situations where it ends up differently. But a vast majority of the time, it does not end well because you wind up with unfulfilled people. Why? Because the most important decision in life about following God is affected by a spouse who says, no, we're not going there. We're going here. And there's a constant struggle going on. So let me short circuit it for you. When you're dating someone, as soon as you know they're not going here, you need to find somebody that's not going to the mountains of Afghanistan. You need to find somebody who's going where you're going right here. Okay? Yeah. Simple enough. Good. All right. <laughs> and oh, and by the way, God will send that guy along. Absolutely. You walk with God. When you're ready and he's ready, God yep. will have him there. Absolutely. Another question along those lines is, how do you know if he is the right guy for future marriage? Well, it's not, that's not a, a question that's easy to just slap one uh, answer on, but I think there are some really good questions that we need to ask ourselves if we're in that dating situation along the way to help determine that. First question is, is God number one in his life, his absolute priority? Not just, well, he said the prayer, uh, he comes to church with me occasionally, that sort of thing. We need to watch his lifestyle and know, is God really number one in his life? Is God first before everything else? Does he seek God regarding the decisions that he makes and recognize, is God really first in his life? If we want a marriage that is a marriage that honors God and that pursues God's plans and where you serve God together, if that's the kind of marriage we want, then we've got to ask that question first. And then also ask yourself, am I next? Does his friends, his hobbies, all of that come before you? Or do you come before all of those things? God should be his first priority, but you should be his second. And then, um, godly counsel is so important. And, you know, sometimes we, as women, can get our emotions wrapped around a relationship, wrapped around a man, and we don't always see everything so clearly. That's where that old expression, love is blind, comes from. But you know what? We need to have godly people in our lives, whether it's family members, friends, get to know that person if we're in a serious relationship and be open to their counsel and ask them, what do you think? What do you think about him, about our relationship? And it's okay to let them speak into our lives. Sometimes women, we can shut out godly counsel. And sometimes we can pull the God card and say, God hold me. He's going to be my husband. But you know what happens? We need to be really careful about saying that because once we say God told me, it's like it closes the door to any godly counsel because people feel like, well, if God told you, then what can I say? You know, we need to be careful about saying things like that. We need to keep an open heart and posture to godly counsel speaking into our lives. And one other little tip uh, that I've heard along the way that I think is a good little nugget of wisdom. I heard someone once say, in a dating relationship before you get married, walk through the calendar, meaning date a minimum of a year. Now, I know there are marriages that are wonderful marriages where they dated a very short time, but as a general rule of thumb, I think there is a lot of wisdom in taking some time and not rushing. And, you know, when I heard this person say that about walk through the calendar, what they were saying is different 
things arise in different seasons. And even with holidays, different family issues and dynamics crop up during different holidays, different seasons. And so it's good just to take a little bit of time. We're still learning new things about each other. A year is I'm not- still training her. So <laughs> no, I'm training him. <laughs> but time is good. And then lastly, and I think this is most important, is to ask yourself, am I where I need to be spiritually? Is God number one? Is he my priority? Is my lifestyle honoring him? Am I positioning myself to hear from him, to gain his wisdom, to sense his peace or lack of peace on the inside? Because that's how he leads us. Am I in the word so he can be speaking to me regarding this relationship? I think that's, those are some things that will really help us determine if he is the right guy or not. Yeah, and I, I agree 100%. And I think also, during dating times, it's really easy for that person you're dating to become the God of your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even Christians, it's really easy. True. Don't let that happen. Yeah. Keep God first. Because if he, becomes, he or she becomes first, then you wind up in a situation where you're hearing them rather, rather than God. How about sex? Right now? No. <laughs> <laughs> Is that okay to say that? I, I told know. you he's a typical man. <laughs> see, no. she, see how romantic she is? That's, that's romance right there. <laughs> is it okay to tell this? I'm going to tell Lord this. Lord, forgive me. The I, other, should, I should never have said that. The other God night, forgive. he's like, just teasing me. He's a tease, and he was picking at me and poking me, and I said, just wanting to make sure you know that is not foreplay, okay? So... <laughs> Poking is not. Like I said, I'm still learning after all these years. Okay, the question is, is sex okay in dating? Okay, let's go back to what God says. What we say earlier, when God gives us commandments, when he gives us guidelines, there are reasons for it. Outside of marriage, God basically calls sex fornication or adultery. Okay? Now, Let me just say this real quickly, and I I think it makes sense to everybody. Two people get married, they become one flesh. A part of that, a big part of that becoming one flesh is what happens sexually between a man and a woman. There are things that happen through sex that puts people or or bonds them. I don't want to say binds them, bonds them together. There's a bond that, that is created. It's not just physical. Today in our world, people talk about sex, and they say, okay, there's procreation, and then there's pleasure. It's kind of two things. There's a bond that comes out of that that God put in us. And when you fall into a physical relationship with somebody, a bond develops. And I know a lot of people who, who after marriage, after relationships, after mistakes, have told me, Once we got involved sexually, something happened, and I knew I needed to get out of the relationship, but I couldn't break it. That's because there's a bond that happens, and that's a part of what God uses to make a man and woman, husband and wife, two people, one flesh. When you get involved in that outside of marriage, God's blessing isn't upon it, and it creates emotional ties. It creates all kinds of straps that you cannot get free from. It creates all kinds of things. And I know some people can walk away from it easier than others, but there are reasons why God says don't do this. And Scripture's clear about it. And, you know, from time to time we talk about this from the pulpit because today in our world, you know, sex is just kind of out there. It's whatever people want. God gave us guidelines, and there's reasons for it. So stay out of situations that God says don't get in. They're not going to help you. They're not going to make your relationship better. They're not going to change that person. All it's going to do is damage you. That's it. Yeah, good. All right, last question uh, regarding uh, singles or dating. Uh, The question is, what is the best advice for a single lady in the church? Wow. (laughs) And... I, what I would say really comes out of my personal experience. At 29 years of age, after about 10 years of marriage, I found myself single for the first time in my entire adult life. And, and so, you know, I was trying to figure out how to navigate that. And, and at that age, you know, it's easy to feel like, 
oh my gosh, I've got to get married right again, right away, quickly, and if I don't, tick-tock, tick-tock, and, you know, all of those things. If I don't get married now, I never will, and those, th those thoughts that come. And so I did date for a while, but there was something that was so strong on the inside of me that I knew I would not marry someone who was not 100% sold out to God, serving him where we would be serving God together. And so I started just getting really plugged in to my church at that time, just using whatever gifts I had, serving wherever I could. And it was amazing to me how as I did that, one door after the next, after the next opened right before me. And before I knew it, I was working in full-time ministry, which is what had been in my heart since I was 15, but the enemy lied to me and told me that would never happen after going through a divorce, but God can do anything. And so here I was in this place feeling such incredible joy and fulfillment, feeling like I am doing exactly what I was created to do. That was what was part of God's purpose and plan for me. It's different for every one of us. But when we are in that place of fulfilling God's plans for our lives, it is so incredibly fulfilling. And as I was in that place feeling so fulfilled, I was able to say, God, Sure, it'd be great to be married someday, but that's in your hands. I am so fulfilled serving you, fulfilling your plans and your purposes for my life that I am happy here and you can just take care of the rest, whether you have that for me or not. And then as I was on that path pursuing God's plans for my life, Gary was on his path pursuing God's plans for his life, and then our cross... Our, our paths crossed and the relationship just became icing on the cake and we weren't trying to draw fulfillment from each other because we were both so fulfilled already in pursuing God and his plans for our lives. And God can do things so much better than any of us can. Sometimes, ladies, we want to take things into our own hands and, and just make it happen on our own because God's not fitting into our time frame or whatever we might think at that time. But we need to recognize that if we're willing to just pursue God, he takes care of everything else. So the best advice I could give to a single person of any age at any stage of life is pursue God with all your heart pursue his plans for your life and he will do amazing things in your life. He will take care of everything else. And maybe you're here and you say, well, I don't know what that is. I don't know how to go about that. You know what? Just get plugged in, get planted in your local church, start using the gifts he's put within you and just watch how one thing will lead to the next, to the next, to the next, and he will open doors and you will find yourself right smack in the middle of his purposes for your life. Anything you want to add to that? Yeah, he'll, he'll, walk, he'll walk you right into the right person, right into the right relationship. I told a story last night. I'll tell it real fast. Ann and I knew each other many years ago, and then we hadn't seen each other in years and years. We both went through divorces, a lot of stuff. Um, one day I got a call. People ask all the time, how did you and Ann get together? I got a call one time from Ann's ex-husband, and... Uh, I was involved in ministry in, in Africa doing some things over there. I got a call from him, and he said, my mother passed away. Would you do my mother's funeral? And I said, yeah, I'll do it. So I went and did his, his mother's funeral. Anne was at the funeral with friends who I knew. After the funeral was over, we stood outside and talked a while, and I asked Anne, well, what, you know, where have you been? What's happened? She asked me, well, what's happened with you? We got to talking. We decided to go to lunch one day and just get caught up on stuff, and she has been chasing me ever since. So, I mean... You know, God can even take the death of somebody to bring you the right person. So trust him. Walk it out. Something like that. Oh. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Let's move on. There were just a few questions just regarding our spiritual lives, just more uh, questions regarding our walk with God. Let's see. I know we're running short on time, but... Um, okay. Can you have more than one gift and how do I find my gift that God has for me? 
There's a few hours of teaching here. Let me do it in two minutes, okay? I think as, as I look at Scripture, I see gifts in three different groups. Number one, there's what a lot of people call motivational gifts. We call them gifts of the Father. At creation, everybody has gifts. Everybody. Whether you know the Lord or not, everybody has gifts. Everybody has things that come easy. There are things that drive our lives. And without taking the time to teach those things, what you are, the core of how you respond to situations, that comes out of those natural gifts that God has given us. Find out from God's word. Look at your own life. There's all kinds of testings you can take. Discover what your natural gifts are, God-given gifts, the things that drive you, your personality, uh, the core of who you are, those motivational gifts. Use those gifts in your life. Use your strengths and don't deal with all your weaknesses. The second group of gifts are what we call manifestation gifts. They're gifts that come from the Holy Spirit. And a lot of people, depending on your background, what you've been taught, a lot of people like to grab those gifts and say, well, I want to possess those gifts. Those gifts aren't there to be possessed. They're there to be given away to people. Which means that in any situation that I'm in, in any given situation, God can use me to minister to somebody. And if I'm open to God, Paul said desire spiritual gifts, desire things of the spirit. What he was saying was desire God to use you in those things. And some people say, well, I've got this spiritual gift and I've got this manifestation gift. If you're holding on to a manifestation gift, you need to give it away to somebody that needs it. Okay, so don't try to possess those gifts. Try to give them away. Make yourself available to God to be used in any situation. And the third kind of gifts, what we call uh, their ministry gifts, fivefold ministry gifts, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. God chooses to put those on some people's lives to be leaders in the church, to be major influencers in the church. Don't worry about those things. If God decides to use you in one of those areas, he'll put that on you. You can't make him do that. But just take what God's given you and desire more and let God use you. And don't worry about this one gift or that one gift. Let God use you as he created you and let him use you as the Holy Spirit desires. Yes, good. All right, and one more question. Why is being the better person, the bigger person to forgive others and move on so important? Well, it is very important, not just so that we can say, well, I was the bigger person in that situation, or I'm the better person. It's not about that at all. It's about being imitators of God, and it's His nature to forgive. It's His nature to extend love, extend mercy, and He has created us in His image and likeness, and He has asked us to be imitators of Him, and I don't want anything clogging up my pipeline with God, you know, and in, I think it's in Matthew 5, it talks about if you bring your gift to the altar and you're, you know that someone has ought against you, go to that person, make it right, and then come back and offer that gift. And I think it's that principle in our lives when we come before God with worship, when we come to Him in prayer, those things, we've got to make sure they're dealt with. I don't want anything hindering my relationship with God. And those things will clog that pipeline if we're not careful. It's not about being able to say, well, I was the bigger person. No, it's about being able to keep a pure relationship with God. Yeah, because every, every decision you make in conflict is planting seeds into your future. Absolutely. Okay, and last question. I think we can answer this one very quickly. How to not take back a problem or situation I have given to God. I think uh, we all struggle with that because we give it to God and then the thought comes. And then the little twinge of worry comes. I think the real question is how frequently do we just keep giving it to God? Constantly <laughs> is the answer. Constantly. And you know, the Bible says uh, we need to take our thoughts captive. We need to take them captive immediately when we've given something to God, but then that thought comes, that worry comes. Just take it captive immediately because you all know within the matter of three seconds, that one thought can lead to a whole downward spiral. So we've got to just continually keep, when the thought comes, we just keep giving it back to God, keep giving it to Him and the more we give it to him, the easier that becomes. Yeah, you just give it to him a thousand times if you have to. You just Absolutely. keep giving it back to him, giving it back to him until you walk the thing out. 
At first, it might be every 30 seconds, then every minute, then every five minutes, then every half hour, <laughs> but it will get easier, and we receive God's strength and his peace, and we can trust that he is in control. Well, we covered a good majority of the questions this morning, but you know, I just want us to do something. We've got a, a couple other things we're going to share before we finish, but at this point right now, I know there's some of you in this room that maybe you've been going through something. Maybe there's something that you've been giving to God repeatedly and that that you're trusting him for. Maybe some of you, some of these relationship issues that we've touched on this morning have hit really extra close to home for you. We just want to take a moment, and I just want to ask you just to pray for the women in the room today. Let's all pray. Father, I lift all of these women to you today. And God, you know what each one of them is going through. And I ask right now that you would just come down and sit down beside each one of them. God, put your loving arms around them and just hold them close. And I pray you would speak into their hearts and their lives today the things that they need to hear from you. God, we've shared some things today that are directional, but we've also shared some things that might be correctional for some people. God, I pray right now that you would help us to know how much you love us, how much you care. God, I know that there are some women going through some pretty difficult things today. God, I know there are some women here who are hurting for a husband, hurting for a boyfriend, hurting about what's happened in life and where they've ended up, hurting for their children, hurting for rejection, hurting for a lot of things. But God, I pray right now that you would love them and begin to heal them where they're hurting. Meet them right where they are today. God, I know I'm not a woman, but I know it's got to be tough. All the expectations, all the pressures that are put on them. God, I know every day of their lives they're carrying so much in our society today. And I just pray you would bless them today, each and every one of these women. God, I know a lot of these women, their, their families have gone through some major, major financial stuff. Probably most of them the last few years. And it's caused a lot of challenges in marriage. Father, I pray that you would just bring healing to their hearts. And maybe the husbands have said some pretty harsh things during this time. God, just bring healing. Bring peace today. And God, I pray that every woman here would understand just how much you value them. How wonderful you think they are. And how much you want to help them move forward to what's next. So God, in the middle of the process, don't let anyone get stuck. But release them to move forward with words of healing today. We thank you for all you do in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, before we can.